Amen. It's always good to worship, and it's especially good to worship, and it sound beautiful, because it doesn't always sound beautiful. I'm not talking about here, but we all know singing doesn't always sound great, but here it does, and if I wasn't a member of First Baptist Church, I would join just for the singing. I'll tell you what, what a blessing. I would invite you to take your copy of the Lord's Word and turn to Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 20, we'll be looking 20 through 27. Last week we looked at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Last week we talked about the comparison and contrast between the Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. We talked about that Proverbs, in a sense, is wisdom on the front end of life. It's bright, it's hopeful, in many ways it's simplistic. If you do A and B, then C will be the result every time. And then, of course, we spoke how Ecclesiastes comes along and says, oh yeah, <laughs> you do A and B, you'll never get to C. But you know what? There's a couple of verses. You found the passage where we're going to be. But there's a couple of verses I want you to hear me read to you this morning. Because if Proverbs is the sweet wisdom that we find in the Word of God, Ecclesiastes would be the salty wisdom. If Proverbs is written in the early part of Solomon's life, Ecclesiastes is most certainly written in the latter part. Um, Proverbs is so hopeful and bright. The wisdom of Ecclesiastes has been chewed up and spit out and life has affected them. But I want you to hear where Proverbs starts in Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So at the very beginning of the Proverbs, we're told, at the very beginning of the sweet wisdom of the Scripture, that, that the fear of God is what is most important. It's the beginning of knowledge. And I find very interesting that at the end of Ecclesiastes, if I were to read this to you, Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 and verse 13, Solomon, after he's vomited out all of his salty wisdom, and scarred and marred soul from all of the difficulties of life. He says in verse 13, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. So when we think about the Proverbs, the sweet wisdom of Scripture, and Ecclesiastes, the salty wisdom of Scripture, Friends, it starts with the fear of God and ends with the fear of God. And what we see in Solomon's life here is the blossoming start of wisdom in Solomon's life filled with so much hope and expectation. Even despite all the saltiness of life and the letdowns that come when you do what you're supposed to do and it doesn't happen. 
at the end of the whole matter, Solomon says the same thing. Fear God. These books are meant to be read in tandem. Wisdom is found not in embracing the Proverbs at the expense of Ecclesiastes, not growing up into Ecclesiastes and dismissing the Proverbs as childish nonsense. Wisdom is found in embracing both of them as the Word of God written for our instruction. And it's there for a reason. When you look at the Proverbs, Proverbs is written by Solomon, and it's written to his son, presumably Rehoboam, but we don't know for sure. Maybe Solomon wasn't writing it to his son specifically. In ancient times, wisdom literature like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes was considered almost mandatory material for kings, nobles, and rulers. Why? Because one must be filled with wisdom in order to lead. So wisdom literature is written for future rulers. And Solomon, being a ruler, is writing to his son in the Proverbs, and he is saying from the beginning, I want you to listen to me. And he has this conversation about wisdom, and he compares wisdom to a beautiful lady and contrasts her with this promiscuous woman called Folly. They aren't actually two women, but he uses it as an illustration that one voice is always speaking, willing to share the treasure of God's knowledge and wisdom. And the other one is always constantly speaking, offering a shortcut, saying, if you'll just do it my way, it'll be easier on you. And thus there is a comparison and contrast in the early Proverbs that is meant to picture the Garden of Eden. When Eve was considering the tree, she was considering what God had said and then also what the serpent has said. God said, do this, and this is the path to wisdom. Don't eat the tree. The serpent said, no, no, no. Eat the tree. Eat the fruit of the tree. And not only will you gain wisdom, you'll get there faster. A shortcut. And thus the book of Proverbs is written so as, it's a, as if it's a conversation between a father and a son. Imagine sitting down with your dad and your dad saying to you, my son, my daughter, these things, I want you to know these things. Dear friend of mine, relatives of people in this room, um, serves at my alma mater, uh, Mississippi College. His name is Dr. Jim Turcott. It's Lori Young's brother. We go a long way back to with Dr. Turcott, um, when I was at Mississippi College, his leadership and influence had a great deal of importance in Andrea and I being able to go there and stay there. And we have much respect for him and appreciation. When I saw him recently, we had dinner together not too long ago. He shared with me something that I want to do for my children. 
He has made these, he's a leather, leather craftsman, but he has made these leather crafted books filled with a conversation between a father and child, and he's made them for each of his children. And filled inside this book are basically everything that you want your child to know, that you would want them to know about you and about life, and it's just fatherly wisdom. And I, as I sat there and I listened to Dr. Turcott say, he was just about to, he was sharing with me going to present one to one of his children. And I was thinking, man, what a special gift to have contained in a book the words of your dad. That's what the book of Proverbs is. And today we're going to talk about his conversation of the inner person, the soul. And I want you to look with me in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. My son... Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Two things that I want you to see primarily today in this passage is the first two words, my son. This is fatherly wisdom. Imagine your dad, your granddad, or maybe you have a closer relationship with your mom or someone wise and understanding in your life, someone, whoever it is that when they speak, you listen, you imagine them in this chair right now. And we have the privilege of having and listening in on this conversation of this fatherly wisdom that is inspired by God. So first is my son. Secondly is verse 23. Keep your heart with all vigilance. When we see heart, it's speaking of the inner person. The Bible uses several words to describe the inner person heart soul mind all of these things are referring to the inner person now we've talked in previous weeks that there are some who say well the inner person is, is even divided further still i believe i mentioned in the second service but didn't mention it in this service for instance there are some christians that believe that we are two parts and the theological term is dichotomy, that we are made up of body and soul. And then there are other Christian believers, as they study the scripture, they say, no, we really see three parts, body, soul, and spirit. And those are called trichotomists. There are Christian people that embrace and hold to both views. Personally, I'm more persuaded by dichotomy. But I could be wrong. If we're three parts, that's okay. 
Personally, I think that the words body, not, excuse me, not body, but soul, spirit, heart, mind, are all words to literally reference the same thing. But hey, I could be wrong, so don't throw rocks at me, all right? Um, but when we read heart, we understand that when Solomon is saying to his son, keep your heart with all vigilance, he's not talking about cardiovascular health. He is talking about the inner person. Friends, your inner person, your soul, is the most important part of you. Let me mention this first thing. The body and soul are distinct parts of who we are. Um, We mentioned this a few weeks ago. We are created as an embodied soul. We looked at the verse Genesis 2 and verse 7, and by the way, this is why I lean towards dichotomy, is because I see two parts in the foundational design, not three, but I could be wrong again. Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So dust of the ground, breath of life, and man became a living creature or a living soul. So we are made up of at least two parts, and these parts come together to make a soul, but not just a soul, a living soul, a soul with a body, an embodied soul, or a biological soul. We are two parts. There is a spiritual part of us, and then there is a physical part of us, and the two parts together make up what we are, a living creature. So it's incorrect to say that we are a soul, and that's all that matters. No, we are both body and soul, according to Genesis, and it's what we are created to be. The difference is, is that our soul endures forever, and our body dies and awaits the resurrection. But we were made to be embodied. You see, our soul is not our body. There are two parts from Genesis 2, verse 7, which makes each of us up. Also, it was true that our body is not our soul. While it is true that what it means to be human is to be a joined body and soul, we still are made up of two parts. And thus, this is why I think the rest of the Scripture is riffing off of this idea that we are made up of parts. And this is why Solomon can look at his son and say, my son, keep your heart with all diligence. He is not talking, again, about cardiovascular health. The reader today, us, and also the reader in ancient times would have understood that Solomon is talking about the inner person. And he says, keep it with all diligence. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. Other translations say the issues of life. What does that mean? Well, that means that you and I, as we process the world, as we process our life and and we experience what goes on around us, our experience is not just a body, it is a soul, and our soul is affected by our environment, our experiences, all kinds of things around us. Our soul is impacted by these things, and the health of our soul affects the direction and the actions 
that we take in life. So the body and soul are distinct parts of who we are. So I want you to understand that, that this conversation, that when you're talking about wisdom in the Proverbs, while there may be wisdom there that speaks about the body, it's still a message to your soul. Remember, two weeks ago, we mentioned that if ultimately all we are is a body and we don't have a soul, then the answer to every problem can be found within some kind of bottle. We just need a biological fix, something medical, something some other way. We just have a biological problem, that's all we are. But if we are ultimately just biological, then wisdom, philosophy, none of that really makes any sense because you're just a biological machine. But if we have a soul, then wisdom matters a lot. Instruction and knowledge, it matters a lot because it has great bearing on what we will do with our life and with our body. And this is the message of the Bible. You're not just a body. You're a body and a soul. And the health of your soul will determine the direction of your life. So, the second thing is the body and soul are intrinsically linked that one affects the other. The body and soul are intrinsically linked that one affects the other. This is why Solomon is speaking and saying you need to guard your heart with all diligence. Because guarding your soul is also guarding your body. So I want you to um, look here in verse 23. Keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and then all your ways will be sure. Well, he's talking about actions there. Yes, for from your heart, from your inner person, flows the decision that you are going to make. You see, the health and the experience of the soul or the inner person has bearing on the experience of the body. The health and the experience of the soul has bearing on the experience of the body. What does that mean? That means if your soul is injured, you just might feel it physically. Because remember, we're made up of parts, but our parts are linked. That you can experience something hard and it have bearing on your physical body. For instance, Psalm 32, 1 through 5. Notice what David says. I love this passage. My grandmother frequently sends me Psalm 32 as an encouragement. She said, I just, this is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Matt. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So the psalmist is celebrating forgiveness and restoration with God. But listen to what the psalmist now says. For when I kept silent, 
meaning I kept my sin to myself and I didn't confess it to God. For when I kept silent, my bones, oh, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And then there is that pondering word there in the psalm, Silah. Whenever I read that my strength was dried up by the heat of summer, I go back to my childhood. My family has a farm in East Tennessee, and there is much fence line there, which require weed eating. I remember many summers weed eating those fence lines. I'm pretty positive somewhere down in the lower pits of hell, there are men weed eating fence lines. But when I read this, I'm reminded of how drained I would feel and how heavy the machine would get. I was just a kid. How heavy it would get and how drained I would feel and want water. And this is what the psalmist is saying. That the dealings of my soul were bearing down on my body. Then he says, I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And there again is our pondering word, Salam. Do you see what the scripture is telling us? That your inner workings, harboring your sin, refusing to get right with God, the health of your soul can affect your body. But not only that, the health and experience of the body has bearing on the experience of the soul. It goes both ways. That sometimes, because the body and soul are so intrinsically linked that they affect one another, sometimes the experience of your body can have bearing on the health of your soul. I'm reading through the Bible this year in the New Living Translation. I just recently read this. Exodus chapter 6, verses 2 through 9. This is Moses going back to Egypt from the wilderness to tell the people and the children of Israel, listen, I met with God, and he is going to deliver you. It's going to be great. And as a consequence, Pharaoh, you know the story, took away the straw for the bricks, and their work got hard. And then they got angry with Moses. And then God says to Moses, just go tell him again that it's going to be okay. I want you to listen to this. God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan. I mean, the build up here. This is exciting. The land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people Israel, whom the Egyptians sold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. 
I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. I mean, if you're an Israelite, you should be standing ovation at this point. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But notice what it says. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel. And what does it say? But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I mean, it's hard to get a more promising word from God than I have heard you, I am coming to rescue you, I'm going to deliver you, and I'm going to give you a beautiful inheritance That sermon preaches everywhere, except not. Why? Because their experience was so hard, and they were so worn down by their burdens, the pain that they experienced on a regular basis, they could not even hear the bright and blooming promises of God. Do you see how there is an intrinsic link between body and soul? That by harboring dangerous things, by harboring sin, by harboring hate in our souls, it can have an effect on our body. But also that the hardships that we experience in this life can have bearing an effect on our souls. It goes both ways. And thinking about this, I've got a kind of a big deal um, coming up this week. This next point is the soul-body link is what makes trauma so lasting and terrible. This Thursday, coming up this week, marks five years since I saw my son lay down on the front front steps of our porch and breathe his last. Um... It's hard to believe that that was five years ago. It's just gone like that. After that time, I was so messed up physically, emotionally. I guess coming out of that, you just don't know how to process things. I, Andrea and I, the church, you all were so kind and gracious to give us time to recover after that horribly traumatic situation. You all may not remember this, but I, I don't remember exactly how it was paid for, the generosity of people here, but it, that's it's just so fuzzy to me. But I, you all sent us to Gatlinburg, and we stayed in a very quiet place up in Gatlinburg. Of course, that's not far from my home. Um, and after the funeral, my wife and I went, to, went there and we stayed there for about a week and just listened to God and listened to each other and just cried. One night, Andrea, I woke up and I was so afraid that Andrea was not breathing. I guess that's just what happens when you just have somebody die. It scared me so bad <laughs> that I performed CPR on her. She was not 
dead. (laughs) She woke up immediately and said, what are you doing? I said, oh my gosh, you're alive. Um, And then I remember thinking, I am such a broken person. I remember riding up that mountain, and it's where I'm from. I'm very used to hills. And we were riding up that mountain to get to that little cabin we were staying in. And I just knew that the mountain, that the car was going to roll off the mountain, and we would go tumbling down into Gatlinburg. And I've never felt that way before. And then when we got up to the little cabin, I knew that the cabin was going to fall. And it just felt like I just knew it was just going to roll down into the city and we were going to die. That week, I remember we went into the food city in Pigeon Forge. And I remember walking down the cereal aisle in Food City. It's a grocery store in East Tennessee. And I remember ducking my head because I... I actually saw the aisles like caving in on me. Um, and it scared me. I called Charlie Lecky, who's a physician here. Um, I'd never had anything like that happen before. Um, the experience of my soul my, and my body, excuse me, the experience of my body and losing my son was having great effect on my soul. Um, and vice versa. Trauma, the reason it's so lasting and terrible is because it's not just the woundedness of your body, it's the woundedness of your soul. My blood pressure, and by the way, you're saying, why are you telling all this? I think it might be helpful to somebody. If it's not helpful to you, then just forget about it. I'd never had high blood pressure before. And then Judah died, and it went off the charts. And I had to take blood pressure medicine to get it right. Eventually, it got right. It leveled out about a year later. And then six months later, my wife was diagnosed with chemo. And my blood pressure went through the roof again. I I tell this to you that I have lived the intrinsic link between body and soul. And I have lived through trauma. Some of you all have lived through worse. But I have lived that it is that the heart and out of it flow the issues of life. When you experience trauma, when you experience heartache, it affects your body. It has great bearing on your soul. This brings me to the third thing. Your soul is in your keeping. There's a reason that Solomon tells his son to guard it with all diligence. I want to talk to you about three dangers and three soul cares, and this won't take long. There's three things that are very dangerous that you can do with your soul. First is ignoring that you have one. Just assuming that you are a body. I don't need no, I don't need, I'll be fine, I'll get over it. Oh, really? You think that's how that works? There's a reason Solomon says, keep your heart with all diligence and ignoring that you have a soul 
is the wrong first step. Secondly, ignoring the selfishness residing in our souls. We're going to talk about this next week. Because next week, I'm, we're going to talk about the destination of the soul. And I don't want you to miss it. Because this is the most important thing about the soul as we close the series. But ignoring the selfishness residing in our souls, more specifically the sin. Matthew 5, 19 says this, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot, cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it conceives, gives birth to sin, and when sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Not only do you have a soul, your soul has a problem. And if you think that at the end of it all, basically your soul is good, you've got a major problem. Because your soul and my soul is infected by sin. And because of that, just always letting our conscience be our guide is not good enough because following your heart can lead to absolute destruction. There's a way which seems right to a man, but in the end, its way is death. That's why we have the Word of God to speak to our soul. This is why we need Jesus for the salvation of our souls. But three things. Ignoring you have a soul, ignoring the selfishness residing in your soul is also something dangerous. Just assuming that, yeah, I can figure it out myself. I don't need God or others in the church. Third is ignoring the damage incurred by our souls. There's a reason Solomon said, keep your heart with all diligence. There's a reason that trauma feels so lasting just because your soul can be wounded. And just ignoring the fact that you've been damaged and saying, listen, I don't need any help. I don't need anybody. That's very dangerous. And your soul is in your keeping, which leads us to soul care. Here's the last three things. First and foremost is this. To care for your soul, you acknowledge that you have a soul and entrust your soul to God. This is the most important thing. I'm not talking about entrusting your soul to God for eternal life. We're talking about that next week. But that's step number one. But I'm just talking about as a Christian person, trusting God in salvation is one thing, yes, but it's also entrusting that God cares for your soul and casting all your anxieties upon him because he cares about you. 1 Peter 1.7. So we acknowledge that we have a soul and entrust our soul to God. Secondly, we receive the word of God for the growth of our souls. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. Hebrews 4.12, uh, a favorite passage by Trichotomus, I might say. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The way you care for your soul is by giving your soul what it was made for, and that's the word of God. That coming to church today, I don't know if you realize this, but by hearing the word preached, you're caring for your soul. By picking up your Bible and reading it in the morning or the evening or whenever it is that you read it, you're caring for your soul. 
by listening to songs about God and about his gospel and about the, his commands. As you listen to those and you sing those and those songs become a part of you, you're caring for your soul. That's why you can listen to music about who God is and be uplifted and feel so much better. And then finally is this, is to be honest with yourself and God about your soul. Let me tell you something. You've heard me say this before. Let me tell you the worst person that you can lie to. The very worst person that you can lie to is yourself. Why is it worse to lie to yourself than to lie to God? Because God knows the truth. It doesn't matter if you lie to him or not. He knows. But lying to yourself is very dangerous because you and I can become self-deceived. And self-deceived people ignore the needs of their souls. Or they go looking for the answers in all the wrong places. Friends, our bodies and souls are linked. And your soul is going to live forever. It's the most important part of you. And friend, hopefully today, in hearing this message, you can think about this connection and the health of your own soul. And you can be honest with yourself. Here's the beautiful thing. God is the healer of souls. If I can be helpful to you or our church staff can be helpful for you in this journey that we are all on, which is called faith and trusting Jesus Christ, if we can be helpful to you, please reach out to us. Stress is real. Trauma is real. Sin is real. And it all affects the health of your soul. Don't ignore that. Come to Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. Lord, Nobody, including myself, likes to sit down and be honest with themselves and just think about their souls and their health of their souls. But Lord, our soul is meant to be an indicator that we might know when we need to do business with you. Maybe that business is confession of sin, like David. Maybe that business is to be reminded by the promises of God like the brokenhearted people of Israel. Maybe that business is just saying, Lord, I'm hurting and I don't even know why, but I want you to be near to me. And most importantly, maybe that business is someone here has never entrusted their soul to you trusting Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And if they have not done that, Lord, I pray that we would do that business today. Lord, speak to our hearts. If there's anyone here that Lord needs to meet with you, Lord, I pray it would take place right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.